0: Hi, and welcome to Old-Timey Musings from an Old-Timer. Hi. I'm going to begin this series with explaining how I first got interested in old-timey music. So I've got to move back now to the, the late 1960s. I mean, I started playing guitar when I was about 13. And like all kids in those days, I expected to be in a band and be famous like the beatles but i got slightly sidetracked um into folk music and started playing around the the folk clubs in manchester at 15 i was i was just doing the usual sort of folky music the thing that i was absolutely fascinated with was the sound of the banjo now there weren't many country musicians as you can imagine playing in those days uh, certainly not in manchester uh, there were a few people playing banjo. We had people like uh, Frank Duffy and Harry Boardman, etc. But they were playing in in the European tradition—English, um, Irish, Scots music. So not much that you could really latch on to as far as country was concerned. But I still loved that that plunky sound of the banjo. Eventually, I bought myself a banjo from a second-hand shop somewhere. And like a lot of other potential banjo pickers, I also picked up Pete Seeger's book, How to Play Five-String Banjo, the big red one. The big red book, I mean, not a big red banjo. And I carried on, trying to learn banjo myself, playing around clubs, playing a mixture of music, but nothing really going down the route that that I wanted to go. I, although I say I'd knocked down the road that I wanted to go, I don't really think I knew at that time what the road was that I want to go down. And then I went into, there used to be a a record shop in Manchester, in St Anne's Square, called Rare Records. And I was flicking through the some of the cheap records in there, and there was a, a Topic album there by the new Lost City Ramblers. And it had a drawing of various instruments on the cover and one of those was was a banjo. I thought I'll have that. Took it away with me. Got home, played it. It was an absolute revelation. This was the sort of music that I wanted to play. The stuff they played on there, um, this is in the days of um, Tom Paley, John Cohen uh, and of course uh, Mike Seeger. And... They were just playing marvelous music. I didn't know how they did it. All multi instrumentalists, and some of the songs were were just tremendous. So, I started trying to trying to learn them. Very difficult to learn them when you've not actually seen somebody play old timey music. But uh, I worked on them and tried to get some some of them together in my head, and um, and then try to play them in my own my own way but um and performed a few in folk clubs but I really wasn't getting anywhere with it then I went to um a folk club in Cheshire and there was a band playing there doing a floor spot (laughs) the name of the band was was the Dog Hobble Ramblers (laughs) absolutely brilliant but the the people the personnel in the band were Two guys, Tom Travis and Tom Bowker and a banjo picker called Ivan Kelsall, and they were bluegrass band. And this was just amazing. It wasn't old-timey music uh, as I was getting to understand but it was the closest thing I was going to get to it in and around Manchester. So, great, we're, we're getting somewhere then. I made friends with them and uh, I was friends with them for, for many years after and uh, in fact I still went to one of Tom Travis's gigs just last year so um, the individuals uh, were still great friends of mine and I actually learned to play some skug style in absence of being able to play old-timey picking styles the scug style worked for me for a while and I played in a couple of bands and um, we did a few bluegrassy numbers so as you can see, I'm starting to get there. So bear with me. <laughs> I think the biggest issue that I had is it was the frailing issue. I read about it in, um, in Pete Seeger's book. I heard about it uh, from the uh, sleeve notes in some of the old-timey records that I was picking up. And I sort of knew what it sounded like. But if you've never seen somebody do it, I just could not get my head around it. You have to remember, this was in in the pre-digital days, so there was no YouTube channels. You couldn't see any demonstrations of people playing this sort of music. So I was kind of stumped. So I sort of put together my own hybrid style, which was a mixture of, I guess what you call, thumb lead and up picking. And that really, I, I got that working quite well, and it was I managed to perform some of the numbers by artists that I really liked. So I discovered people like Uncle Dave McCam, Roscoe Holcomb, Frank Prophet. You know, these are the sort of guys whose music I wanted to I wanted to play. So using my hybrid style, I got approximations of the stuff that they were that they were doing, um, and I started to abandoned Scruggs style. The main reason being that I was primarily a singer and a performer and if you're singing and performing on your own it's really difficult to accompany yourself playing um, syncopated bluegrass banjo so I needed to get back to the to the old styles. So I'd found my niche there which um, kept me interested I guess for the next 40 years. I moved down to London played at a lot of the the clubs in London. I was still at that time playing uh, a sort of resonator-backed banjo, but that worked because in some of the big venues in those days, you know, they, they just didn't have any any PA system or uh, amplification, so you needed to get some, some real volume out there to be heard. So I'm um, playing at places like um, Surbiton Assembly Rooms and the... Murray Cash's Town and Country Club, yeah, big venues, but I needed to be belting the music out, so I kept the resonator on the banjo, the old bluegrass resonator, and uh, and it stood me in good stead for, for many years. And I had a few other banjos at the time, but that was uh, my go-to instrument. I then came across um, a 1911 fretless banjo. I met a young lady in a, in a club, I think it was the... I think it was one in Putney... Um, and she'd got this fretless banjo that she was looking to sell because she said she couldn't play it without frets on and her boyfriend had offered to fret it for her, which I thought was in no way should she be doing that. It was a lovely instrument. So I I parted with, I think, about six quid for it and, um, and took it away with me. It was battered and uh, it had an old vellum head which was... I'd seen better days. Strings were knackered. Um, It had old violin pegs in the top, but still it had potential. So over the years, I started to renovate it a bit. It was a project. It got put in the shelf while other more important things had to be done. But over the last few years, I finally sort of renovated it, strung it up with nylon strings, and at last I'm starting to be able to to play the sort of sounds and get the sounds out of it that I, that I wanted to get out of it, so who knows, you may start to hear a bit of that old banjo, on these podcasts at some time in the future. I love all the old hard time instruments, though. I just wish that I'd mastered the fiddle. That was the only one which I, when I listen to people, I, you know. Uh, Mike Seeger playing with the New La City Ramblers, and uh, then I hear people like Alison Krause playing nowadays, and I just think that sound is absolutely wonderful. I did buy myself a cheap fiddle, but it just wasn't wasn't right for me. I got a couple of mandolins. I thought if I can pick those, you know, fretted, I might start to get the the hand positions, the finger positions, and translate that onto onto the fiddle. And I think I, I did made a fair a fair fist of it, but that really wasn't going the way that I that I wanted to do. But um, it's still there in my uh, my collection of instruments. But um, I stuck with with the banjo. Returned to the banjo, guitar and banjo. I'm afraid uh, those actually helped me to play most of the stuff that I wanted to play. In fact, I saw Alison Krauss playing with um, with Robert Plant on the uh, the Raising Sand tour, and Loved that old timey fiddle playing that she, she managed to get out of it. And that's what I think is good. Um, old timey music is now, it's now kind of getting more common. I mean, thanks to people like, like the Cohen brothers, with uh, Oh Brother, where art thou? and uh, you yeah, know, and the the influence, and music of, of that T-Bone Burnett puts behind their their stuff. It's it's getting quite common now. So when I start talking about playing old-timey music and I meet people who actually understand what it is, you know, about uh, my son-in-law around uh, last Christmas and uh, managed a half decent rendition of Man of Constant Sorrow, which was that was quite nice to you know playing together and doing that sort of stuff. You know, mainstream musicians now, like people like Robert Plant, are actually showing, I mean, they've always had an interest in you know, traditional American music, and now they're actually showing it in the, um, in the records, in the music they're creating nowadays, and that's really nice. So, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, I love old timey music. And I love some of the old-timey performers. I love the fact that there's a lot of modern musicians who are grasping it now. So that's the reason behind these little podcasts. I'm hoping to talk a bit, chat about music, musicians, talk about songs, talk about singers, maybe sing and play a little, who knows. So please send me your feedback and um, I'll just keep on picking. Well, like they say, if the good lords willing and the creek don't rise, see you again soon. Bye. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.